I'll take some prayer this week if you're thinking about it. Uh, tomorrow morning, I get on a plane and I fly to South Korea, actually, to rendezvous with our team that's over there right now, serving in Korea, uh, 22 high school kids, seven leaders, including my wife and both my daughters are over there. So I've been lonely this week, just a little bit, and, uh, but it's been a great week to, uh, to uh, focus on some other things. But I'm excited to fly over there and meet up with our team. And uh, Kathy's been filling me in on what's happening over there, and it's been an amazing experience. And I wanted to bring some pictures so that you could connect a little bit with what's happening over there. Um, so what's, the Holt has, in South Korea, they have a, a community called Ilsan, and this is a community for disabled adults and children who were not able to be adopted because of their disability, so they aged out of the adoption process. And because of the Christian convictions that underlie Holt Ministries, Holt Ministries refused to abandon those children, even though they weren't given family, so Holt becomes their family. And Ilsan is a community of these residents who live together, eat together, they work, they, they get educated, they experience community with each other, and our students are there just blessing them, working in the community, uh, doing some work projects, um, serving them, loving Jesus in the process. It's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Isn't it? feels like we should give the Lord a round of applause for something like that because it's... And uh, I love this picture the most. I, it, so that, that's my daughter in the middle with the precious little girl <laughs> on her lap. Isn't that adorable? And when I look at that picture, something about what's happening in that photo, the quality of the love there and the relationships, it just draws me in. It's like, I want to I be there. I want to be a part of that for some reason. Just the kind of community that I see in that picture looks really compelling to me. You know, Kathy texted me this morning and she said, I want you to tell the church today that they should be so proud of their high school kids. Because our high school students have just entered into this thing. Just with all of their hearts, they're serving Christ and they've connected with the residents and Kathy said, it's just astounding, the sense of community. We don't speak the same language. We come from another side of the globe. We have so little in common, and yet immediately our students experience this really tender community with the people there. And I thought about that, and I thought, what in the world has the power to create something like that? Or maybe the better question to ask is, who in the world has the power? Amen? You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> who in the world has the power to take people who speak different languages, who come from totally different life experiences, different colors of skin, different socioeconomic backgrounds, who in the world has the power to take a, a, a group of individuals of diverse backgrounds like that and, blur, and blend them together into some kind of beautiful, compelling, attractive community? Well, that's the question we're going to answer today. 
because of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, is the ultimate passage about community in the entire book of Colossians. It gives us a vision of the kind of community that God longs for in his church. If you could get inside the the mind of God, if you could get inside the heart of God and see community, see perfect community the way God sees it, the kind of community that God longs for, what would that community look like? Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is going to tell us. Will you read it with me together? I'll read out loud. You read in your heads. We'll do it that way. Here's what he says. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is that not a breathtaking paragraph of Scripture? Is that not amazing? wonderful. I feel like our series in Colossians has been inevitably leading us to this moment, and specifically to this text, because everything that we've been talking about in this series has to do with how Paul wanted to encourage the church in Colossae by reminding them what you have as a family is so precious and so unique. When you gather, Christ is in you. That's the title of the series, Christ in You, and we've we've reminded you again and again, that's not to be understood individualistically. It's to be understood communally. The church gathers together, and Christ is here living in us, dwelling in us richly. We're being filled with Christ, who's filled with the full deity of God. It's this amazing vision of Christ-centered community. And finally, this morning, we're going to ask the question, what, well, what does it mean to be Christ-filled, a Christ-filled church, a Christ-centered church? What does that even mean, and how do we do that? And so what I want you to see this morning is that what Paul's doing here is not just describing Christ-centered community. He's actually giving us a prescription for how to do it. Paul's going to say, do you want to be a part of a church that's Christ-filled? And I'll ask you, do you want to be a part of that? Please nod yes. Okay, thank you. If you don't, okay, then we'll talk later. But if you want to be, do you want to be a part of a church that's Christ-centered? Paul would say, you need to do these four things. There's four things you need to do. I'm going to put them up so you can see them, but they're so obvious they come right out of the text. He says, you want to be a part of a Christ-centered, Christ-filled, beautiful, compelling community, you need to do these 
four things. You must do them. Put on the attributes of Christ. Be ruled by the peace of Christ. Be filled with the word of Christ. And lift up the name of Christ. Is that good? What's the common denominator in there, by the way? Is it obvious? I hope so. Okay, good. Christ. You don't have to write all those down because I'm going to come back to them later. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Paul would say, you need to do those four things every single time that you gather. And if you do, your church will be filled with the glory of Jesus. It will be a Christ-centered church. Every time you gather to worship, you need to do those four things. Every time you gather in a growth group, you need to do those four things. Every time you pull together around fellowship at breakfast with a group of brothers or sisters at a Bible study, wherever the church is coming together in community, you must do those four things. And if you do, your church community will be beautiful. It will thrive. It will honor Christ. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. I realized, thanks, Kevin. You can take that down. This week when I was preparing, I realized that uh, as a pastor— and I, I've known this before, but I was pleasantly reminded this week that my highest value as a pastor is beautiful community. That's like the thing that I care the most about. But here's the thing. This morning, I'm going to ask you to make this your personal responsibility as well, our community. See, we need you. We need you to be a part of this. We need you to care about this as much as we do, as much as Paul does. Each and every one of you, I'm going to make the call this morning. You need to make beautiful community your mission. You need to care about it as much as the staff does. You need to care about it as much as Paul does. You need to care about it as much as Jesus does. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to walk through these four these four prescriptions, we're going to understand them. And at the end, we're going to put this all into practice in the way we worship. So let's take each one of these four at a time. We'll break them down just a bit. We'll try to understand them. And then this will help you to know, okay, what's my, when I roll in here on Sunday, what is my responsibility? What am I here to contribute? Okay. Well, here's number one. Number one is put on the attributes of Jesus. Put on the attributes of Christ. If we want a beautiful, compelling, Christ-centered community, then the individual members of that community need to show up to the gathering dressed like Jesus. Not physically, of course. That doesn't matter. Spiritually. Spiritually dressed. Clothed in the attributes of Christ. Isn't that amazing? This is what Paul's talking about when he says right out of the gate there to put stuff on, verse 12. Did you notice that? He's using this metaphor that he's used throughout the passage of, of taking some clothing off and putting some clothing on. When you look back, he starts the metaphor actually back in verse 9 of chapter 3 where he says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, Paul says, You're, that old person who was 
part of the world and not in Christ, that person's gone. Put that person away. You're no longer that person. That person who you were before Jesus got a hold of your life, that person is dead, that person is gone. You're a new creation. And Paul says, you put on a new person, and that person is in Christ, alive, spiritually living, in love with Christ, following Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul says, you put on that person. Paul says, he calls the church in verse 12. Did you notice the words he calls them? Chosen, holy, beloved. He's saying, don't you realize that the church is the, the, church is the new Israel? The church is now the people of God. You're a part of God's people. That's what that language always meant in the Bible. Called, holy, beloved. That was how God described his people, Israel. Paul says that's what the church is now. The church is God's people. And Paul would say, you're a part of that church. And you know what? You need to dress accordingly. You need to take off stuff that no longer represents your true identity and start to get dressed in the things that do. It's a really, really great analogy because every single person relates to it, right? Because we all get dressed every day, or at least we should. I hope you do, right? Every day you do this. Every day you get up and you try to dress appropriately, right? You try, right? If it's 96 degrees, you don't put on a jacket, right? If it's 96 degrees, you put on shorts and a t-shirt. You dress appropriately. You dress in a way that makes sense. You dress in a way that represents your reality. But also, more than that, you dress in a way that represents your identity. You ever thought about this? Now, I'm a really casual guy. And I would be up here in, you know, shorts and flip-flops because that's just my style. But my wife scolds me about this all the time. She's like, you need to be more professional, all right, dude? So, like, literally, I'll come out of my bedroom dressed for church, and she'll say something like, do you really want to do that today? You know? <laughs> you sure about that? But it's, it's, you, it's not really a question. It's more like, turn around, dude, and go back in and try again. Okay. <laughs> right? She's like, you got to dress appropriately. And so do you, River West. As a member of the body of Christ, as a person who belongs to Jesus, Paul would say, it's time to take some things off that no longer represent your true identity. And it's time to start every day getting dressed in the things of Jesus. So you say, well, what are those things? Well, Paul tells us right here in verses 12 to 14, when you look at it again with me, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved. He says, here's what you put on. He makes a list. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance. It's this idea of bearing with one another, putting up with people who are difficult. Forbearance is an attribute that you clothe yourself with with. Forgiveness. Paul talks about forgiving other people the way Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is like this trait of Jesus that you clothe yourself with. And last but not least, of course, verse 14, love, which is like the belt that binds the whole thing together, right? You read that list and you go, those sound really familiar. That sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility. And you start to realize what Paul's doing here is he's saying, I'm talking about Christian virtues. I'm talking about the virtues of Jesus himself. These are the traits 
of Christ. And Paul would say, every time that you gather in community, the individual members should put on the traits of Jesus and come to church ready to represent your true identity in Christ. How amazing is that? Is that not the most practical thing you've ever heard? I meditate on this verse all the time before I'm going to go into like a difficult situation. If I know I have a meeting that I'm walking into where I'm going to be interacting with someone and it's going to be difficult or painful, I'll take that verse and I'll pray, Lord, am I clothed with compassion right now or anger? Am I clothed with gentleness? Is gentleness in my heart and about me? Would people see gentleness or humility or forgiveness? Am I representing you in that way? How wonderful is that? River West, we want to be a Christ-centered community. And Paul would say, okay, then every time you gather, take a moment. Right before you get out of your car, stop and say, How, what's the condition of my heart? Am I ready to walk into the, the community of Jesus and represent Christ with my traits, my virtues? So wonderful. So wonderful. You know, Paul knew that if the, these traits, every single one of them is, is interpersonal. They, they require a relationship to live them out. Did you notice that? These are not hyper-individualistic things like he doesn't say clothe yourself with virtue or with knowledge or with self-control. He said, no, no, he's talking about traits that require interaction with a real human being to be expressed. Humility and patience. Because Paul knew. Imagine a church where everyone's dressed like that and we're interacting with one another and suddenly that community becomes extremely beautiful. And the world looks at that community and they, and they scratch their heads and say, what in the world is going on there? They treat one another in a completely different way completely different way. You know, and, and it represents Jesus in the world in a way that no individual could ever represent Jesus. As an individual, you can be extremely amazing. You can be just a, an extraordinary person, but extraordinary individuals never prove Christianity. Did you know this? Being extraordinary as an individual it never proves anything because there are lots of extraordinary individuals in the world. Many of them are atheists or other worldviews or religions. So just being extraordinary as an individual has no power because for one thing, those people are extraordinary. They're kind of unique, right? But community, extraordinary community. I go back to my picture in Korea and I think, now that is extraordinary. And that, the world sees something like that, and they go, what has the power to create that? Only the gospel of Jesus. Only the gospel of Jesus can create something like that. And so Paul would say, if you want to create that, and if you want to display that, and if you want the world to see that, every time you gather, put on the attributes of Jesus, right? Put them on. And this is why Paul says the love is the ultimate one. Love is the belt that brings it all together because in the church, you're going to have all different kinds of people, people who are not like you. And so there's all these unique individuals and it's our love that brings us together. Look at verse 14. Paul talks about the word harmony. You ever thought about that? It's, it's love that can take 
a bunch of individuals who are totally different, have different views, and it can bring us together, not in unison, right, but in harmony. Isn't that interesting? Unison is when everyone is doing the exact same thing. And there's nothing extraordinary about that. Being exactly identical to the person next to me, what would be extraordinary is when I'm, when I'm with a bunch of people who are very different from me, but somehow love, the love of Christ brings us together, and we make harmony together. Now, harmony is beautiful. And harmony requires different kinds of people singing different parts. And Paul says, how do you have harmony? The love of, the love of Christ. It's hard to do. It's hard to be in harmony with people that I'm different from. That's why we need love. But it's also why we need prescription number two. So we have getting clothed in the traits of Christ. But here's the second thing Paul says. He says you need to be ruled, too, by the peace of Christ. You need to be ruled. Every time you gather, Paul says, do you want a beautiful Christ-centered community? Then peace, the peace of Christ must be the law of the land. Peace needs to rule in your, in your church, okay? He says it right there in verse 15. You probably noticed it. Look at it again with me. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. I just put a little star by be thankful there because I'm going to come back to that at the end. But first I want to talk about being ruled by peace. That word rule, to be ruled, it comes from the world of sport. And Paul's thinking of like an umpire who's there regulating things in the community. And you get to a situation where you're at odds with someone or there's differences at work. Paul says, it's the peace of Christ that's the arbiter in that moment. The peace of Christ is the ultimate standard for the community. And it has the power to keep people bound together who are even in moments where they're in disagreement with one another. Isn't that interesting? Peace of Christ should be ruling. When Paul talks about peace, he's not talking about an inner sort of subjective, personal experience, like my inner zen, Um, like I'm at peace. That's not what he's talking about. He's not concerned with what you're feeling personally. Paul's talking about this global peace that Jesus paid for on the cross, a peace that has the power to create the church, and the church being made up of different nations, tribes, tongues, and and locations all united together in peace. Yes. Go back to Colossians 1, verse 20 real quick, and let me show you what I mean. Keep your finger in chapter 3. We're talking about a peace that cost Jesus everything, and that's why it matters. And that's why we need to let it rule in our church, even when we're interacting with people who are different from us. Because Jesus paid dearly to create this peace. Colossians 1.20 says this, through and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How did Jesus make peace? By shedding his blood on a cross. Jesus paid. And in that, and in that sacrifice, the power of God was unleashed to reconcile people who otherwise have, have nothing in common with one another. And Paul says now, because Jesus paid for that kind of peace. You need to let that peace rule in your church. 
even when you get into situations where you're interacting with someone who's so different from you, you're at odds with them, you should step back from that interaction and say, I need to let the peace of Christ rule in this moment. Because it's hard to be in community sometimes with people that we're different from, right? It can be challenging. I've noticed as a pastor that in the church, there will be times when you will be in fellowship with someone with whom you differ greatly. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. You're, at, you're, in, a, you're in a small group, and this person's talking, and suddenly you're realizing we are really different. I know that's never happened to you, but it could happen at some point, okay? And you're, and you're fellowshipping, and here's, here's human nature. You're in that interaction, and you're starting to feel, whoa, we, are, we're, we think differently about some of these little things, and it's human nature to want to begin to pull away and to separate from that person and to distance yourself and sadly, sometimes even to break fellowship because of differences, Right? One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else as a pastor is how casually in our Christian culture people leave one church and go to another church. Just so casual. Like it's like I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to this restaurant anymore. I've decided to go to this restaurant, right? And it's just super casual, and it's, it's a heartbreaker for me as a pastor, and I'm sure it breaks your heart as well. And people will leave sometimes for the most casual reason. Sometimes you'll hear the reasoning, you're like, wow, that, that seems so, it just seems so lower on the level of significance, you know? I've heard people say, I mean, I've, I've heard it all, right? And I'm sure you have too, you know? Yeah, we left that church because the people there were so young, you know? So young. Or we left that church because the people there were so old, right? We left that church because the pastor was so young. We left that church because the pastor was so old, (laughs) right? The worship is too loud. The sermons are too long. The sidewalk is too long to get to the front door of the church, you know? Who designed that? A distance runner? (laughs) Right? You think I'm kidding, but we've, you hear this, right? We hear this stuff all A couple years ago, I was out in the foyer, and a guy came up to me, and he said, Pastor, I want you to know, I didn't know him. He said, I want you to know this is my last Sunday at the church. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. What's going on? He goes, well, I want you to know I'm leaving the church. And I said, why? He said, because the coffee's too hot. And I was like, you're kidding, right? He goes, no, I, I have, this is the second week in a row I've scalded my mouth on your coffee. And I'm leaving. And I, this was not my best moment, all right? I'm confessing sin. What would you say? Be honest. Yeah. I said, I said, and I confess, I said, you know what? I don't think this is the best church for you. <laughs> I agree with you. It was not my best moment. I'm confessing sin, all right? Okay. Because we've heard it all. Now, can I ask you a question? What are we communicating to the world when we treat church like that? What are we saying to the world when we casually 
oh, you know, I'm not getting along with the people in my growth group, so I'm going to leave and try at a different church. Or I'm not getting along with this one person that I keep interacting with on Sundays. I think we're going to check out a, a different church. What are we communicating to the world when that's how we view church? It's extremely easy to have community with people who are just like me. It's super easy to do that. But it's not supernatural. There's nothing miraculous about it. If I'm always gravitating towards communities where everyone's exactly like me, that doesn't say anything about the power of Jesus to bring people together who are different. You know what's supernatural and miraculous? When people who have different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, different race, different language, different political opinions, different pet theological views, when all those people get united together with the love of Christ, holding them together in harmony, and the peace of Christ is ruling their relationships, and the world sees that, and there's no example of that anywhere else in our world. The only thing that creates that, the only thing that sustains that, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So will you please stay with us? That's not what it was really about. That's not what it was about. That's not what it was about. You know why, in biblically, you know why some reasons you would leave a church? This, I didn't write this, but I feel like I should say this. Why, why would you leave a church biblically? A couple things. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? That should be super obvious. Okay. Or there is unrepentant sin in the leadership. Okay. Or they hold really, really aberrant, off-base theological views about something. Okay, those, those things matter, but the length of the sidewalk and the heat of the coffee, okay, and the style of worship, are any of those things in the Bible as a means, as a reason to leave the church? No. <laughs> They're not in there. They're not in there, okay? Okay? So let the peace of Christ rule. Let's build something that lasts. Amen. Here's number three. Write it down. Every time we gather, let the word of Christ. You need to be filled with it. Be filled with the word of Christ. If you want a beautiful, compelling, Christ-centered community, the gospel of Jesus must be at home in, in your gathering. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying the gospel needs to just be, it's, it's, it's like it's there so much, it's almost, it's a resident in your family. That's what he says. We look at verses, verse 16, which by the way, verse 16 is, it's like the gem of Colossians. It's a lot of people's favorite verse. I had so many people come up, Colossians 3.16, I'm so excited. I love this verse. This verse means so much to me. What does Paul say? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ means the gospel. It's the message about Jesus. That's what it always means when Paul uses that phrase. Paul's saying, let the gospel dwell in you. The word dwell means to literally take up residence. It's a permanent member of the family. The gospel is not like 
the people who are passing through for the weekend, out-of-town guests. The gospel's not like that college kid who comes home every once in a while to wash his laundry. The gospel is a permanent resident in our church home. And it dwells here richly. And you go, yes, we want that. Paul says, every time you gather, let the word of Christ fill you and dwell in you. And then you say, well, how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us these two really interesting categories. He says, there's, there's two categories, what you say and what you sing. Will you look at it with me? Here's what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do it? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, what you say. But then look at this. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the, and the, and the, the inference there is to one another, because that's what it says in Ephesians in the sister passage. So we're teaching, admonishing one another, and we're singing to one another. And we're doing it with thankfulness, put a star by thankfulness. I'm going to come back at the end and talk about that. In our hearts to God. Paul says, if you do those two things, the word of Christ will be dwelling richly in your gathering. So every member of the church plays a part in this. This is why I said at the beginning of the sermon, please make this your personal pet project. This is your responsibility, not just ours. You are a member of our church family. And Paul is giving us a vision of a church where the members, when they gather together, they teach and admonish one another. The word of Christ is coming out of their hearts and their mouths to one another. They're speaking grace to each other. They're encouraging one another. Paul is envisioning a church where each member is growing in their ability not just to love the gospel and understand the gospel, but to be able to speak it in meaningful ways to people around you who need to hear it. A sister who's caught in sin or a brother caught in sin and, they, and they're sharing with you do, you, do you have the fluency in the gospel to speak to them a word that says, Jesus paid for that. You are forgiven. God loves you. It's such a beautiful image. And every single member of the church needs to take up this clarion call. I am a member of River West, and what I do every time I gather is I come prepared to teach and admonish other Christians with gospel truth. I'd like to share with you one of my favorite quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was reflecting on this verse. That is so small that only a church with young people could read that. I apologize. <laughs> okay, um, I'll read it. If you can see it, more power to you. Here's what he said. This is an amazing quote. I hope you'll get the significance of it. But God has put this word, the word of Christ, into the mouth of people in order that it may be communicated to other people. When one person is struck by the word of Christ, she speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or a sister in Christ. Not just in the sermon, but in the mouth of, an, of another Christian, right? 
Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his sister or brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. Listen to this. I love this. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Have you ever had a moment? I have, where I feel uncertain. I feel discouraged. I feel condemned. And I'm in community. And one of my brothers in my Saturday guys group speaks a word of encouragement, gospel truth to me. And it's like exactly what I needed in that moment to keep going because the Christ in my own heart is weak right now, but the Christ in his words and his faith is so strong, it just teaches me and I'm filled again with faith. Now what happens in a community if you're withholding that from brothers and sisters? That word is in you. And Paul says, let it out through what you say, but also let it out through what you sing. So you speak truth, but we, did you know why we sing? Why do we sing? Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching, admonishing one another, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. And as you do that, as you sing, you send gospel truth into the hearts and the ears of your sisters and brothers who are sitting in church with you. It's crazy. Paul's saying there's, there's a vertical. We, when we worship, yes, we're praising God. Thank you, God. And that is so essential. But there's a horizontal element to worship where truth is, is being sent out into the community. And you have no idea who's, who's sitting in front of you, you know? And you probably think they're thinking that, that guy is a really bad singer behind me, all right? They're not thinking that. You, they're, they're probably hearing the words that are coming out of your mouth and those words are penetrating their heart and giving them hope and encouragement. I had one of those experiences six months ago where I came to church and I was just super flat, super dry. And I had one of those moments in worship where I literally came unglued emotionally. I was crying uncontrollably. What happened was I was sitting right out there and right behind me was a family, and this family had two young girls in elementary school. And I'm kind of dry, and I, I, I'm feeling disconnected from Jesus. And then the song, How Deep the Father's Love, comes on. I, I love that. That's my favorite song, okay? At my funeral, please sing that song. Colin, okay. It's my favorite song. I love it. But even as the song started, I, was just, I wasn't feeling it. And then suddenly I hear from behind me, the voices of angels, these little elementary school girls. I'm going to get emotional. And they start singing the song. And they're saying, I'll read the lyric. They're saying, behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But this I know with all my heart. I know that it is finished. And these little girls are singing that, and I just broke down. 
And I was like, Jesus, I love you so much. (laughs) Why do we sing? Why do you sing in church? Do you know there could be somebody in front of you who's really dry in their faith, and they need to hear your worship? could be somebody across the aisle from you who's struggling with illness or unconfessed sin, and it might be your passionate worship that is the word of Christ that impacts their heart, and they leave committed to Jesus again. Amen? Amen? My wife told me, I want to put a picture up of the, okay, so in Ilsan, they have a choir, and, uh, and the choir is a bunch of the handicapped residents who who sing, and they actually travel all over the country. And they performed for our students, and they sang a song. They, it was in English, very broken English, but the, basically the lyric of the, of the song was, I feel like in this world no one sees me. So I'm so thankful that I have a Savior who knows me deeply. And they were singing this song, and Kathy said she looked, across, she looked over at our students, and half of our students were just weeping. And this kid came up to his leader and said, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like I'm living in this world where no one sees me, and I'm so thankful for Christ. And it was the sung word, the singing of the gospel truth that impacted their hearts. Why do you sing? Why do you sing? You sing to worship Jesus, yes. And you sing so that the word of Christ will dwell among us richly. Amen? Can I just suggest something very gently? We're making a huge mistake if we see the music as the hors d'oeuvres before the sermon. Like it's just just some singing to get people, to give them time to get their coffee. You know, none of you think that. I know. It's just the songs are just the warm-up, but the main course is the sermon, right? And then as soon as the sermon's over, I'm gone. I'm out of here, right? We're making a mistake. I hear people joke, there's River West time. You know, River West time is like about 10, 15 minutes after service start. I'm like, that's actually not that funny, all right? I'm not laughing at that. I'm not laughing at that because the second Colin opens his mouth, He's creating an environment where the word of Christ will dwell richly among us. And you need to be here to sing it. Now there's grace, okay? Sometimes you get to church and it's like, it's a miracle you're here. And I know it. If 15 minutes late, it's like Jesus is on a throne. I get it. But if that's every time when we roll into church, we're 15 minutes past, we're saying something about what we believe about worship. And it's not biblical. And so... Was that gentle? Was that nice? Was I loving? Okay. He's like, don't leave the church and get here on time. Amen. Okay. Because when you sing, when you sing, the word of Christ is dwelling richly in you and in one another. Amen. Okay, here's the last one, and this is fast. Lift up the name of Christ. We want a Christ-centered community, and that means we need to constantly give glory to Jesus in everything that we do, whatever we say, and through our actions. And Paul says this, verse 17, it's right there. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
You say, I want to be a person who gives glory to Jesus. I want to be a person who lifts up the name of Christ in everything that I do. How do I do that? And Paul says, it's really simple. It's the last sentence. Give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. This is the thanksgiving. Remember I told you to start this because thanksgiving is through the whole passage. Give thanks, give thanks. Thanksgiving, Paul's saying, it's so simple. Do you want to know how in your life you could lift up the name of Jesus constantly? Be a person who's constantly thanking God through Jesus for everything that you have. Everything. What if that was just like your, your, just your knee jerk? Oh my gosh, God, you've been, thank you for Christ. When you're here singing, when you're out there talking to others, it's just gratitude is coming involuntarily out of your heart, out of your mouth, if that is the way you live. And if it's a gratitude that's specifically focused on the person of Christ, God's blessing to you in Christ, you will be lifting up Jesus' name in our church and in our world. It's a beautiful thing.